0: Welcome to Language Chats. This is a podcast for language lovers in Australia and beyond where we share our experiences of language learning with you as well as the stories of other Australians and a few international guests who love learning, working with and communicating using other languages.
1: I'm Bec. And I'm Penny and welcome to another episode of Language Chats. We're very pleased to welcome a guest with us here on this episode. Kat, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. can't wait to have some language chats with you tonight. Yay. Um,
0: no, we do love, we do love a language chat and we especially love a language chat with somebody else who lives in our area too, because Kat, you're, you're also in Melbourne, aren't you? Melbourne based. Woohoo!
1: <laughs> well, before we dive in and talk more things language, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and your own language story?
2: Well, I guess I'd say that I've had a bit of a language-filled life. Um, I'm working as a high school French language teacher at the moment on maternity leave but um, still dipping my toes in languages, of course. Um, I think my story is quite similar to lots of Australians out there. So I um, started off uh, listening to a lot of Italian being spoken around me. My grandparents are Italian and um, also my my parents, you know, Always had kind of languages um, in the household when I was younger. I never spoke anything other than English at home, but it was always around me. And then um, getting to high school and and getting to uh, learn languages. Obviously, I started with um, and French and Mandarin, and continued on with French. And um, yeah, and then. The rest is really history, I think, when it comes to just the the love of languages and uh, you know going on exchanges, living overseas, um, studying at uni, and having businesses in, in um, languages, working in linguistics, and uh, then now coming to where I am now, teaching French uh, on a full time basis.
0: Well, I feel like there's a lot that we need to unpack there. <laughs> um, <so laughs> maybe a few things that we need to we need to hop back to. Let's. Um, let, let's go back to when you were at high school because you said you you, like, found your love of languages then. W- mm. w- at what point did you did you go? I really love this. What what was it about when you were studying French when you were at high school? Um, mm. Or w- was there something else? What ins- what really inspired you and and got you excited about languages?
2: I think it was re- it definitely started in high school. Um, so I always knew that I enjoyed. Learning and studying languages, and I've since, you know, uh, found out that I'm quite a, a syntax geek. Um, I will self proclaimed, um, <laughs> but it was really when I was probably 16, I, I was fortunate enough to go on a two month exchange uh, to France, and. Um, I rocked up in France and uh, I realised I couldn't speak any French. <laughs> I would even get confused between oui and non. <laughs> when people ask you a question, I'd say oui Actually, uh, i bet no, oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> but uh, really when I came back from that two-month exchange, I stayed with the loveliest people and I'm still in touch with my host mother, in fact, and um, I realised that I wanted to learn how to speak a, a second language. So for me that was a huge turning point in in what it meant to study a language. So working out, you know, at the age of 16, okay, if I actually learn how to speak a second language, I'll be able to learn so much more about this new culture and be able to have so many more adventures, um, you know, in travelling the world, meeting new people and finding out about different perspectives uh, and having these different experiences in life. So I came back um, to year 12 and I remember thinking to myself, I think I, I'm, I'm going to study what my teacher says, but I'm also going to learn about, you know, 20,000 French songs <laughs> so, that, so that I've got, you know, a lot of slang and, I, I, you know, I can, I can learn the way I want to learn a language. And that really, yeah, I think propelled me into um, the world of actually trying to speak the language as well as understand and study grammar and syntax.
1: Wow, I love that. I love it when you know as a young person, you're 16, 17, it's pretty young looking back that you can you can already at that age felt some kind of control over the way you wanted to learn and the way that you that the learning resonated with you. Um do you think that that stayed with you as being an important part I guess as being a student but also as a teacher recognizing that everyone has their kind of own path to take with language learning, that, you know, that music really, songs kind of spoke to you as a way of connecting, but that, you know, other things speak to different people. Has that always been in the back of your mind?
2: Oh, I think absolutely. I I think what I try to instill in all my students is that, and any learner, it doesn't matter if it's my students or not, you know, if I'm talking to people about learning languages, I say, you've got to find what inspires you to learn that language? What excites you? What 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 are you already passionate about that you can connect to to help you learn that language? If you really want to also become involved in that community of speakers, what's something that you can culturally connect to as well to be able to learn those perspectives? So music for me, that was easy because back in, what, 2004, you know, we didn't really have that much on the internet as well. So, you know, buying CDs or watching DVDs, DVDs was a way to connect with the culture as well as the language but it was like you said Penny it was also something I was interested in so learning learning language learning slang um or learning things that I knew other people found um exciting I could speak to them about it you know when eventually when I could speak French you know then I could talk to people about these artists I've been <laughs> you know, memorizing their lyrics too so yeah when I when I teach especially um my year tens, you know, when they kind of at that age where they're starting to learn the language, where they're they're starting to speak it at a bit more of a sophisticated level. I always say, yeah, what what um, what kind of resources can you access that you find interesting? I don't know for you and um, Penny and, and Becca, um, what do you use to um, connect to your languages?
1: Well, yeah, that's a good question because I think. You know, over the over the episodes that we've been doing language chats, you know, it does come up a fair bit because, of course, like you said, it's like a driving force. You know, it you know underpins everything that that we do. Um, one of the things I like to do is I really like really like interviews, like real life kind of chats with real people on the street, or you know, about a particular topic in a studio. That usually the ones that I tune into are pitched at learners because. Most of my languages are at that level, not at, not at you know, native kind of level. Um, but I think it's just i have always interested in people's opinions about, you know, current affairs or stuff that's going on. And so I like to tune into things like that. What about you, Beck?
0: I'm the same, actually. I quite like the – um. so the one that's coming to mind for me are the Easy Languages videos um, and I really enjoy – they do lots of like on-the-street kind of interviews and stuff with regular people and they're sort of short short snippets with different people. Um, so I quite like those. I also enjoy music too as a way to enjoy language and as a way to like um, kind of learn the rhythm of – words and kind of the melody and intonation sometimes Mm. in a more stylized way um Mm. and it's funny because when you were talking before about getting into French music when you were learning French like I mean similarly I did French at school most of our listeners know that um but I also had a selection of kind of French music that I like had access to at the time and again in like the mid-2000s this was like few and far between I remember going and buying a few CDs, literal literal
1: CDs for anybody who still remembers Oh my god, those. you guys are um, so young! I went to high school in the nineties. Come on, guys, we didn't even have the internet. <laughs> so, but
0: I remind I remember buying. Well, my the first French music CD I ever had I bought from. Borders. anybody remember Borders? Um, Which for anybody out there who doesn't know what Borders was, it was like a big kind of book and music store um, in Australia. I think maybe in the UK as well. Um, And the first CD I had in French was by Camille. Um, Mm. It was an album called *Le Fil*, and I reckon I listened to that on repeat until I knew all of the words to basically all of the songs. um, (laughs) Pretty much the entire way through my maybe year eleven year.
2: That's fantastic. (laughs) You know, I think for me it was um, uh, Trio, uh, which is just, yeah, (laughs) it's a very funny band band. And also sometimes could be quite political. So I always felt like a bit like connected to the French culture. One fun thing about um, French music is that um, anyone who's studying French will find that usually at the end of a sentence or the end of a phrase, musical phrase, they'll extend the vowel that usually isn't pronounced when you're speaking. So, Mm -hmm. you know, si je parle français, um, je parle, like, normalement or something like that, you know. But if you're singing, you might say "je <laughs> parle," and you, you drag out the vowel at the end, which um, is also a nice discovery, I think, when you're a, a, an early learner. You know that there's there's different ways of expressing language, spoken language, and um, sung language.
1: Oh wow, that is Absolutely. cool! It is mm. poetry. So exactly after after your final year of high school what happened then? Did you, you know, you definitively wanted to study French or did other things get in the way or where did you go to after high school? I, I actually went, in terms
2: of studying, I actually went towards sciences. But um, when I was 19, my partner and I, we went and lived in France for a year on a working holiday visa, visa vacances travail. And we stayed in Lyon. Um, we worked in a pub while we were there. And we um, He's a musician, so he was looking at a lot of music. He learnt jazz manouche and came back to Australia being quite proficient in that, and he's doing very well in that. And myself, I concentrated on the language while I was in France. So it was always, you know, when I was, every time I had a shift or with my housemates, I always had a conscious effort of trying to learn the language. And um, so when I came back, from living in France. I had, you know, a bit more of a street French, I guess you would say that I, I went and did a Bachelor of Arts and um, one some of the subjects were in French. And I remember one of the uh, lecturers saying, ah, uh, you've got to tidy up your French, you know, you've got to make it more sophisticated. You've got to sound a bit, even she'd say, you're going to be sound a bit more Parisian, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> I'd also had a bit more of a southern, <laughs> um, <laughs> talking about drawing out the vowels at the end. Yeah, sometimes I still do that when I speak, Yeah, because I'm just that Lyon, the kind of the southern influence. Um, but, you know, in it, on that topic, actually, of just you know, when you're when you're learning another language, um, especially to high proficiency, um, that's what I've really enjoyed is is just gleaning a whole lot of accents and just putting them together. You know, it really tells your own t- story. You don't have to. Um, I use mimicry actually, so I, I use you know other people's accents and collect them for myself, but then I, I smush them all together. <laughs> And then I get my own accent in that language and it, it, it kind of, if people listen to you, I think it tells your story without you having to actually tell you the story yourself.
0: It does. That's a really beautiful way to describe it. And I feel the same way about accents. I think, um, And I think that takes some, some time to realise that too, because I think a lot of us as we, you know, maybe when we were younger or when you're at school and you have this idea of what you think is correct language whether that's in yep. even in English um, all having you know being native English speakers but certainly when you learn another language too there seems to be this em- emphasis often for students that there is a correct way mm. like a, an exact correct precise way to pronounce a word. Now yeah. there is I guess a, you need to be understood of course comprehension is important but When it comes to a regional accent, for example, or dialect vocabulary, um, and we could be talking about any language here really, Mm. um, sometimes they are the things that actually make language so interesting and diverse and very beautiful um, because... They're those, those little idiosyncrasies um, of regionality or, or whatever it is. And I, I think like interesting that you were mentioning earlier, just going back to your your background and your grandparents speaking Italian. And, you know, I think a lot of the time that is people probably recognize, especially in Australian communities where they've got a different heritage background, yeah. the, the language that they may have heard their grandparents speak, whatever that might have been, may not be the correct language that you might have been taught at school if you then studied italian later for example or if um you know it could be another another language in there too and that's not a bad thing yeah just because the thing that you the thing that you heard before was different doesn't Mm. make it incorrect
2: i think you're absolutely right when you said it's just about being understood um you know you could it really it's it's it like i said it tells tells your story i think especially if you're learning it as a foreign language um you know you you didn't you weren't born and bred in that in the country of the language you're speaking and so sometimes people can get very caught up in that i know with a lot of my students um you know they get embarrassed if they don't have what they consider to be a proper accent whereas just as you said Beck, it's about you know the every single accent comes with its idiosyncrasies and so we just have to embrace um our our learning journey and and as we experience language and as we grow in that language um we gather those accents and we and we start to take on this second persona i think it was um um, Charlemagne or Charlemagne, as we might say in Aussie <laughs> English, he said, you know, to have another language is to possess a second soul because as we're learning, we do take on more uh, through our adventures, through our experiences, through, like I said, gleaning other la- other languages, other cultures and, um, yeah, so actually just on that quote, <laughs> I used to have that on my, um, it's a funny story, I used to have that quote up on a pin-up board. Um, and one day I came home, my partner had changed it slightly and it, and it read, to um, have a second language is to possess a second more stupid soul. <laughs> <laughs> but i <I'll laughs> quote that for Sam. Um, <laughs> but I loved how he changed it because it was so true. I think when we learn another language, we we do have to recognize it's not going to. We're not going to be as proficient in our second language as we are in our first. Of course, especially if we're in a foreign country or we start learning after the age of twelve, after the critical period. Okay, that's fine, you know, because when we have that second, more stupid soul, it makes us a little bit more humble. You know, it teaches us how to take risks. It brings in all these these values that we wouldn't wouldn't have had the pressure on us you know if if we hadn't have taken on that that second language makes us good listeners (laughs) makes us feel like we can jump into situations where we might feel a bit more nervous you know like the two of you starting up this podcast for example would you have had the the guts if you weren't you know speakers of more languages (laughs)
0: I don't know, Kat. That's a great question. And now that you now that you say that, I'm asking myself, and I'm like, hmm, where did we get the guts to start a podcast?
1: (laughs) Who are multilinguals? (laughs)
0: No, you're. I mean, you're absolutely right. I think it's there's something as well about how you learn to be understanding, I think, from having learnt another language too or more than one language um, and it's about understanding other people's experiences as well. I think as English speakers we are these days a bit privileged um, in that lots of other people want to learn English and it's become a real lingua franca around the world but it's important to understand what it's like to to be somebody who's having to learn another language just to be understood and i think for for yeah as english speakers we can be more understanding always of other people who are trying to learn language that we speak natively um so yeah you make a really good point yeah i don't know about if it's a second more stupid soul maybe just a second slightly less slightly less articulate soul <laughs>
1: You'll have to find that that poster and and go back and change it, Kat. (laughs) (laughs) I'm okay
2: to be a bit more stupid, though. That's all fine. (laughs) If it's in a second language.
1: (laughs) So after your your French lecturers at uni said, you know, polish up your French, you know, speak more Parisian, um, where did you go from there? What happened after that? Did you... Jump into education as a as a career choice. Yeah, I, I
2: feel like it was quite an organic process actually um, for me. It just it, it's something that just happened. I, I think it's when you're when you enjoy something, um, it can just happen. It just unfolds. When I was at uni, I started um, tutoring uh, students in French. You know, my friends or. Are just people down the road and, um, and in like a year's time I, I got so many inquiries for French tutoring that I I decided to just contract on some other people and I, I started a tutoring business cool. um, in my early 20s and um, I really enjoyed it and I realised that I really enjoyed teaching people. Um, at that time and then I went and worked for um, a not-for-profit organisation currently called Living Languages at the time. It was Resource Network for Linguistic Diversity and I worked there for about three years Um, and they um, provide educational services to um, any Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander groups who are looking to um, just, you know, need, need help with linguistics or want to uh, look at revitalizing their languages or need to access grammars that were written hundreds of years ago you know so I and I, that was just another way I fell into education and once again absolutely loved it <laughs> and um, then I just thought well oh, well look maybe let's try a hand in, um, in in teaching high school because I like working with young people and that's how I found myself in the teacher position and um, like most teachers would find if they speak a second language, as soon as you um, start to go to interviews of, at schools, if if you can speak a second language, you get snapped up.
1: Well, that's yeah. awesome. And when you were when you were kind of contemplating this career, when you were studying, did you did you encounter a lot of people in your circumstances who weren't native speakers who were becoming teachers and? well, let's go with that first. Did you (laughs) encounter Mm. other, I guess, second language learners who went on to teach that language?
2: Yeah, you know, I I think that um, there are so many people who who do speak um, obviously multiple languages and and do end up um, using that skill in teaching. So, yes, I've even taught with many um, non-native speakers of the language and um, I, I think that's just it's a, it's a lovely position to actually come from. Um, I really enjoy, or I, maybe I've found myself enjoying being a high school teacher as a non-native speaker, because I find that I can, I really relate to the students. I understand what they're going through and I can, I feel like I can help them from my own perspective and from my own personal experiences. And, uh, also you can all, um, you can, Kind of predict where some of the challenges might lie <laughs> for those for those learners. But in saying that, um, as a teacher, I love working with native speakers. I think when you when you've got a team of a mixture of native and non-native speakers, it really strengthens um, the program because you're able to um, have those kinds of discussions about about the learning the learners' experience. Um, And also for myself, you know, I like going to work every day and being able to speak (laughs) French or any other language because obviously everyone's lingophile if they're a a
0: language teacher. Absolutely. Um, Do you, like, what do do you find the most challenging thing and maybe the most Mm -hmm. most rewarding thing as well? Um, But what is one of the most challenging things about, being a languages teacher in in Australia in particular where you know honestly I guess when we are as isolated as we are and although we do as Australians try to travel quite a lot when we can um you know not everybody has that opportunity there is it hard to get students interested in languages is there an underlying like you know is there motivation? Uh, is it hard to convince parents that you know they should encourage their kids to to be learning languages? Or, you know, as a teacher, what are what are some of those things that you find are uh, interesting or perhaps sometimes challenging to deal with? Mm.
2: I think just as you' about to open that question, you said the challenges and the rewards because I think they are connected. When um when I met with that challenge, as you said about the Australian context of uh, of learning a language, you know, obviously English is the lingua franca, <laughs> and um, so where where does that motivation lie, especially for teenagers? Okay, well, where where is the proof to them that a second language is going to be a necessity for them? Okay, that's usually what they're looking for. Um, if that's to say if their families aren't already involved obviously in second languages or um, don't already come to the table with that view that they're important. Um, so in there lies the challenge. Well, we've got a very interesting landscape in Australia where obviously Australia is, or Melbourne in particular, is very multicultural obviously um, but a, as, as like my family um, to assimilate into the Australian culture um, a lot of families have a tendency to try to drop their native tongue and to speak English and especially their children or their grandchildren will just usually be speaking English and that's not the case for everyone of course. Some families obviously keep their their um, their mother tongues. But, you know, in the case of my family, and I know that many, many people in the same position as my family where by the time it gets to the grandchildren, we're no longer speaking the language of our families. And so I, th- I think you you find that there's so many people's w- views, therefore, are that English is the most important language to learn and obviously to become proficient. And that is true. I, I think we should always be studying and learning our native tongue. We should all be trying to become more proficient um, in, in any form of communication. Um, but, yeah, so how do you inspire young people to learn a second language is your question. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I think it's about trying to first as a teacher, your job almost is to be an extrinsic motivator and and now being, having taught in high schools for six years, um, I made it my priority to teach with the communicative method. So that is right as soon as I start high school, first class, speaking French. And I make that my mission. Um, it can be quite fatiguing because <laughs> after a few months, some of the kids start to get, some of them get a bit wary, you know, ah. Oh, can we just speak in English? And and you have to, you kind of, you, you the ups and downs, you're there with them, you know, for the ride, for the journey. But if you use a communicative method and you get people speaking from day one, they start to um, set their own goals, their own language goals, and it can turn from an extrinsic motivator to an intrinsic motivator. And, and then all of a sudden they might be asking themselves at the age of 16, why do I care <laughs> that I've got this second language? Ah, because I've been speaking it now for three years, you know, and I can see how I'm becoming more sophisticated in this language and I can see because I'm using it, so therefore it's got a purpose, yeah? So I think in the Australian context, that's what's important. It's just trying to create a communicative environment so that we have a purpose, we have, we're have creating that need
0: or at least even creating a desire. I think Absolutely. as well, it's like, I mean, there isn't, you know, it sounds like from, I, I love all this stuff that you're talking about, because I think it's so great. I wish you were my French teacher when I was at school. Um, <laughs> I mean, and, and let's, I had I had lots of very motivational um, French teachers when I was at school, because I did stick with it in the end. Um, so I, sh- I should be grateful for that. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I love hearing, hearing you talk about this and the way that you motivate your students because I think that like as adults who are interested in languages um you know we obviously Petty and I and you cat as well when we were at school we found that intrinsic motivation at some point in time it was probably something different that sparked it um for for everybody but It's hard, I think, once you've already entered into your adult life and you're already interested and you're already motivated – to look back and go like, well, how how did I get there though? Mm-hmm. Like, how how do I how do you make sure that somebody else who is also that young and in that time they're like they well, don't really know what's going on? Like, you know, there's they're learning so much and there are so many choices and especially in in the way that our um, sort of high school certificate system and stuff works, at least in Victoria for sure, it's quite competitive. And I think that something that I always found was really hard when we were going through school was that there was such a focus on how do you just get the best result at the end and what are the subjects that are going to lead you to that? And yeah. it's, it's not often actually the, the passions. Well, sometimes it is, but not for everybody. Is it the passions that lead them to where it, to the subjects that they do in U 12? Mm. Um, so that can really change, I think, the way that everybody considers those things that you take through to the end of high school. That's probably um, actually
2: one of the most challenging parts of being mm-hmm. a language teacher is actually being um, teaching the the upper years. So yeah, it was year 11 and 12 VCE for us here in Victoria. It, for me, that's one of the, the, actually the biggest challenges, but equally, once again, the biggest reward. So what ends up happening in VCE is obviously there's a standard that we all have to meet um, at the end of year exam. And for anyone who knows the European framework, it's about a B1 level. So it's quite high. Like it's that's quite advanced, especially for, you know, a high, if we're talking about high school level. Um, not many kids can actually reach a B1 level and that's why in Victoria, you know, it's, it's, it is quite a challenging exam and they do, it does get scaled quite well, the subject, because it's quite a hard level to attain for most students. Um, but the reward in that system is when you actually talk to the kids about um, what it means to try to attain a level, they start to have to um, self-reflect, So they have to start to think, okay, well, what is my current level? What's my current ability? And what's just the next layer? above that. And once they start to recognize, it's the same as us, you know, when we're learning another language, we have to reflect and we have to say to ourselves, well, what do I know right now? And what could I do just to, what's that next step? Okay. And you've got to constantly analyze, analyze your level. Um, You've got to constantly set these short-term goals or long-term goals in order to succeed or to continue your journey. So I work a lot with my students on that. It ends up becoming more of maybe a journey of self reflection. (laughs) And um, yeah, then rather than just an academic pursuit which is beautiful. I think, you know, especially as for teenagers, I I think that's a really good lesson to learn. It's not just about memorizing and spitting out information. It's actually looking at you. Okay. Who are you as a learner? How do you want to learn? Why do you want to learn this? And what are you going to do to get there?
1: And this is why, you know, language learners of the world make such great learners of anything because of this, you know, <laughs> continual self-reflection and self-assessment and <laughs> persistence and <laughs> all these things, like you were saying earlier on, Kat. So, yep. Oh, that's great. So you, you should be standing up there as like a complete advocate to, um, to parents and schools and education departments. This is why we need language learning. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'd be happy to do it. <laughs>
1: um, are you also teaching outside of school as well or is is school your full-time focus and there is no time for anything else? I know that you mentioned you had a tutoring business back in the day.
2: <laughs> mm. What I um, enjoy doing outside of the classroom is trying to create a community um, for teachers because when you're teaching, uh, it can actually be quite – an isolating experience. Um, You spend so much time um, just creating, I guess, you know, a curriculum and resources and working with your team in a school and just working with your students. It's hard to find time to connect with people outside of your school. And I think that a lot of teachers experience this. And so I have a blog, uh, I Love French Australia, and I use that platform as well as Facebook and Instagram to try to, to connect with um, other French teachers or Low teachers uh, and to share resources. So I, t- I tend to write some resources or, or um, reach out to people and they put up questions online and um, just try and work with people because um, I, I think, you know, obviously we, we are – just more enriched if we all work together.
0: I love that. What a good way to to reach out to other teachers. And you're right, I can imagine that that, that community is really important, um, yeah. especially when teachers, as we all know, and as we've all been reminded these last couple of years too, are not only so important, but very overworked. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and I can imagine how as your time dwindles throughout the week and, you know, between corrections and lesson planning and all of that sort of stuff, it must be hard to, to get all of that together and to still make sure you've got the motivation every day to be getting up there in front of a group of kids and getting them motivated about learning too. So, <laughs> you right. know, teachers have to help teachers, don't they? <laughs> I think so.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think we know as language learners as well that communication just always makes you feel better, you know. Talk to someone. <laughs> I, I, you know, have a language chat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: yes, that's <laughs> our answer to
0: everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cue the music. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you are a teacher out there or if you are somebody who is just interested in seeing Kat's blog and some of the interesting, cool stuff that she's put on there, then we'll make sure that um, a link to that is in the show notes. Um, and Kat, if, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, um, they can do that via Facebook or Instagram as well, you said?
2: I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, you can find me at I Love French Australia
0: wonderful. Yay! Thank you. We'll make sure there are links to that in the show notes as well. Um, Kat, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a wonderful chat and we have loved hearing your insights and your experiences um, of both learning and teaching. Um, We really appreciate you taking out the time to speak with us. Thank you so much
2: for having me. Love Language Chats. <laughs> Aww,
1: thanks for being here, Kat. Thank you.
0: <laughs> and if you want to, so Kat is actually a member of our uh, Language Lovers AU community also on Facebook. If you would also like to join all of us there to hang out and have some more Language Chats that are outside of the podcast Language Chats, then um, you can join us there. It is Language Lovers AU community on Facebook. Um, you can also find us in uh, the other places, I guess, on the internet. <laughs> um, we're on Instagram, Language Lovers au and you can find more about us um, on our website www.languagelovers.com.au
1: and thank you for tuning in to another episode and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on our future episodes that come out every fortnight and we will catch you again soon thank you thanks Kat see you next time Merci au revoir